0: Well, you may have noticed uh, here at Asbury that everyone has certain pet peeves related to their areas of work and study. This is especially true at a seminary. Uh, I'm sure you've heard a few of your professors go off a time or two on a few misconceptions or mistakes related to their areas of expertise. Things like, don't ever put an S at the end of the last book of the Bible and especially in front of our biblical studies professors, it's revelation, not revelations. Or that Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a greeting card promise to prosper you and not harm you, unless you're ready to take up 70 years of exile first. (laughs) Or that Proverbs 31 is not a checklist for Christian women to live up to. And guys, but Song of Solomon is not a dating manual full of Christian pickup lines. Those pickup lines don't work. Well, for me in the worship planning world, my professional pet peeve revolves around a single word, and the word is stage. People often refer to this thing that I'm standing on right now as a stage, but that, friends, is incorrect. This is a platform. Let me hear you say platform. Platform. The chapel team will tell you that if one of us slips up and says, who's sitting on stage today? Or do we need another chair up on stage? I get this crazed look in my eye, and I somehow croak out the words, it's not a stage. It's a platform. Now one thing I've learned working with a generation of 20-somethings is that when they want to show you their love, they make a meme out of you. (laughs) I've had a few good memes made of me, and a few bad ones, and um, one was even made about a reaction to my pet peeve. I think we have a picture of that meme now. (laughs) Call it a stage one more time. This is my Clint Eastwood moment. Go ahead. Make my day. (laughs) So why am I so fussy about this? Aren't these words interchangeable? Don't they mean the same thing? Stage, platform, isn't it the same thing? I I think that it's about what the word stage triggers in our minds, in our modern culture. A stage is a place for performers a place where a performance happens. It's for entertainment purposes, but friends, worship is not a performance. It does not entertain. What happens up here is not for the pleasure of the people out there. What we all do in worship together is for an audience of one. And these tiny little things, these signs in our vocabulary, may shape the way that we think about worship as we use them over and over. It it makes all the difference. It's the difference between knowing that you are using your gifts for the glory of God or believing that you are God's gift to the world. But make no mistake, you are gifted. This isn't like elementary school where they separated us out, right, and there were a few gifted kids and then all the rest. All God's kids are gifted kids because God has given each of us gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Do you hear that? Whatever gift you have received, what does that imply? You are gifted. That means God has given each of us gifts, and the purpose of those gifts is to what? To serve one another. If you've ever wondered if God forgot you when he was handing out gifts, he didn't. Listen to the kind of gifts that Peter is talking about here. First Peter 411, whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. God has given every one of you gifts, Peter says, and here are the gifts. Whoever speaks, whoever serves. Now, does that seem like a short list to you? That's not even really a list, right? Just two things, speaking and serving. This is the book of First Peter. If you want a list, you go to Paul. <laughs> Paul loves lists. He's got a list of eight spiritual gifts in First Corinthians twelve: apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helping, leadership, tongues. you go to Ephesians 4, right? Some are called to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Or Romans 12, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, compassion. You want a list? Now that is a list. And here's Peter writing after all Paul's letters, maybe thinking, why bother making a list? I mean, Paul has at least three. So he just says, whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies. Why these two? Why does he pull out just these two gifts? Some, some commentators say maybe he's picking the highest and the lowest, right? Those up front are speaking, those behind the scenes are serving. Maybe they represent the breadth of all the Christian gifts and we're supposed to see them as, as bookends uh, everything else is kind of in between the most public and the most hidden of the Christian gifts. Or, or, as Dr. Ruth Ann Reese says in a commentary on this passage, these two gifts that Peter focuses on are gifts that everyone can receive and everyone can use. Each one of us has the capacity to speak divinely appointed words into the lives of others, and to use the strength that God has given us to serve others. Did you get that? These two gifts are gifts that everyone can receive and everyone can use. Every one of us is called to speak for God. And every one of us is called to serve others for God. Maybe, maybe this is meant to describe the breadth of our ministries, the things we say for God and the things we do for God. Luke himself sums up Jesus' ministry in Acts 1-1 by saying this about the gospel of Luke. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus did and taught from the very beginning. And so maybe we can sum up your life and ministry in that way too. All you did and taught... Your word and deed, or as Peter puts it here, said and served. What you do with your life in Christ, your calling, is what you said and how you served. Now, some of you would rather speak than serve. and Some of you would much rather serve than speak. Too bad, Peter says. <laughs> You're all called to both of these. Some of you would rather crawl in a hole than speak in front of people. The platform is the last place you ever want to be. That's okay. But that doesn't mean that it gives you a pass not to speak the word of God to others. The very words of God, as Peter puts it. Do you think that the word of God is only delivered from a pulpit? I mean, that would make it rare. It would only get a hearing maybe once a week, in this place, three times a week. Of all the words of wisdom that have ever been spoken over your life, that have shaped you, that have formed you, how many of them have been spoken from a pulpit? You're not gonna make me feel bad as a preacher, just think. How many words of God have been spoken to you in a personal way, by someone who knew you well, And you have held on to those words in your life, knowing those were the very words of God. And so you, too, are called to speak the words of God over people. Then there are those of us who might be a little too eager to get to the microphone. Those of us who think God has given us a word, and everybody else better just listen. But maybe we disappear when it's time to clean up the mess, stack the chairs, do the dishes... Wrong again, Peter says, we are all called to serve. No matter our status in the world's eyes, we never, ever graduate from being servants. That's our theme this year, the life of servanthood. We're learning about how Christ is a servant, how we're servants. It's popping up everywhere. My son tells me that even in his Boy Scout troop, they teach this. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. The Boy Scouts, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) are teaching what Peter teaches. At Asbury, we teach that those things always go together. We teach a kind of leadership called servant leadership. What I love about that is that being a servant is an identity. Being a leader is a role. Let me say that again. Being a servant is an identity, a lifelong identity. Being a leader is a temporary role. You may not always be the leader, but you can always be a servant. Listen, your role is gonna change again and again in your life. You may move from what you perceive to be the lowest point to the highest point, and then you may move back to the low, but your identity will never change. That's a beautiful thing. When you sign up to follow Jesus Christ, You become a servant, and no matter what your business card ever says, that identity never changes. And just like all Christians are gifted, all Christians are called, because we're called to serve. We all have what's known as a general calling to serve God. You have a calling to serve that is first a general calling. No one who follows Christ gets to say, I'm not called. Because the work of God is for all of us. No one gets to say, you know, I'm not really called to pray. I'm not really called to give. I'm not called to evangelism or caring for the poor. I'm just not called to that. Because those verses in the Bible are a calling for all of us. We are all called. It's the priesthood of believers. But we also each have a particular calling. You know that because you're here preparing to do something that is particular to you. Maybe you're called to be a counselor or a missionary or a theologian or a teacher or to write books or to write songs or to lead music. Some of you have no earthly idea what your particular calling is. (laughs) That's right, brother. We'll pray for you. And even scarier, some of you think you know. But God's going to mess with you while you're here. And if you're feeling a little confused or lost about your particular calling, you have come to the right place because this is a great place to figure it out. But you not only have a general calling and a particular calling, you have a personal calling. The calling to ministry is personal. Dr. Jonathan Powers likes to say that worship is always personal, but never individual. I like to think the same thing's true about our ministry. Ministry is going to be personal. It's different for each of us. If it's not, then why do it? But ministry is never individual. It's never just about us and God. It is for the glory of God and the building up of the church, his bride, his body. You don't think the burning bush felt personal to Moses? You don't think Deborah felt a little personal going into battle or sitting as judge? Or your Isaiah, you don't think it feels personal? When an angel flies at you with hot coal to your lips that is a personal calling and you have a personal calling we could bring a hundred pastors up on this platform and they would all have different callings a hundred missionaries if you ask them what are you called to they all have a different personal calling you are uniquely called because not only are you gifted in some way but you also have experiences you have a story, you have wounds, you have weaknesses, you have places where you long to see justice done, where anger, righteous anger, bubbles up in you when the world is not as God hoped it would be, or excitement or joy when you witness something. It's different for every one of you, and God will not waste a single drop of who you are if you'll give it all to him. And he will use you to reach people that no one else in the world can reach. Listen, Stephanie Roundtree can reach people that I will never reach. Amen? Amen. Michael Inyang will reach people that I will never reach. You are called personally because God needs your story, not just your gifts, not because you're God's gift but he's gonna use your weaknesses, your hurts, your wounds, all of that will become God's. You have a personal calling, and because of that, you have a unique platform. Platform's not just a literal word anymore, is it? It's virtual, right? You have a virtual platform, you have followers, you have likes, Uh, you you have numbers out there, but I just wanna tell you that the goal is not about you standing on a platform, whether it's literal or virtual. It's not about you sharing your gifts and being lifted up by a platform. If the definition of platform is the thing that one stands on so that others can get a better view of their message, then the platform is not yours. In fact, you're just part of the platform. You are God's platform. Your gifts, your life, your experiences. This platform may elevate me, but I'm standing on it to elevate Jesus, Your gifts will certainly make that clear, but it may be your weaknesses that people hear from the loudest and how you depend on God. It may be your story and how God has redeemed you from the pit. That may be the thing that is the platform that God uses. Anything you surrender to God will become part of his platform. You have a calling not just general, not just particular, but a personal calling. For many of you, that's what you've come here to find out more about. You came here to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ in the classroom, in the chapel, in the cafeteria, in the community, and DNA groups so that you can be sure of what you think you know already, that God, in a very personal way, has reached out to you and let you know that you are called. God has called you. You've felt it. You've, you've sensed it. There are good things and bad things about that. Parts you're proud of and parts you feel humbled by. It it feels awkward to share that story with people, doesn't it? To, To speak up out loud and say the words, I think God has called me. How dare we? But it's not because we're the treasure. It's because we're the jars of clay elevating the treasure. And as you experience and understand your calling, you need to share that with other people. You need to say, I think that God has called me because, and tell another soul. Telling your testimony will strengthen other people just as it strengthens you. You know that the book of Revelation, no S at the end, says we shall overcome by the what? blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. And what do you think we're overcoming here? Certainly the persecution, the resistance of the outside world, yes, but often that resistance is just as strong or stronger on the inside to understanding that you're called. Jesus' blood and speaking the word of what he has done in your life will also overcome the inside resistance, the fear, the doubt, the temptation to either have pride or go hide when you think about that God has called you. You will overcome those by the blood of the lamb and saying out loud what God has done and how he has called you. So you need to share the stories of what God has done as a reminder of God's call. You need to share it. So does Stephanie. So do I. So on a Tuesday morning, almost exactly 20 years ago, I was sitting in worship. Not, not just any worship, I was sitting in chapel. I was right about halfway back, kind of where Lauren's sitting, against the windows. That's where my friends usually met for chapel. I don't even remember who was preaching that day. Sometimes the powerful word God speaks to you is not even in the sermon at all. I had just in the last few weeks heard someone talk about how God sometimes calls you to do foolish things that won't make sense to the world, but they make sense to him, and if he calls you to do something foolish for him, do it. You you don't need me to explain that phrase, right? Some of you have been called to do foolish things for God. Some of you have been called to preach wise sermons and do foolish things to call attention to the Lord. (laughs) Some of you have been called to trade in your car for a bus and take it to minister to homeless people. Some of you have been called to fly across continents to answer God's call with newborn twins in your lap and give it all away to serve God. Or maybe you've been called to stay in your home, and your job, to support your family, to try to do it all and add seminary on top of it, show up for intensive classes, and stay up till all hours of the morning being an online student. God bless you. I remember in chapel that day, I was thinking about foolish things that God calls us to do. And someone that day was reading a psalm, Psalm 84, and we were singing a song that was based on that psalm. And the song was kind of like the hot new worship song of the day. It was like our way maker. It was like our reckless love or king of kings in those days. It was called Better Is One Day. It was from this really hit new worship album called the Passion Worship CD. And I know most of you have never owned a CD. (laughs) And I promise that someday your Spotify playlist with Waymaker on it is going to sound just as ancient as I do right now. The song said, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. It was a big hit that had just come out about 21 years ago. Some of you just came out about 21 years ago, too. And someone had done some fine worship planning that day because we were singing the psalm and we were reading the psalm. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It went on, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. And that's when I heard it. The call to do a foolish thing. Not the general call. Not even just particular. It was a personal call to do a foolish thing. It feels a little embarrassing just to even tell you about it today. It said, go open the door. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, it said, than go open the door. This was not a metaphorical order. The phrase was calling me to do something literally foolish, to get out of my seat, to move down the aisle of Estes Chapel, and to open the back door, the one facing North Lexington Avenue. And so I did what any good Christian would do. I sat down. And I held onto my pew, and I told myself I was imagining it, that it was my voice in my head, but it didn't go away. And I don't call myself to do foolish things, friends. And my heart softened with that worship, and so I edged my way out of my seat. I made my way down the aisle. I got to that back door, and I grabbed the outside door handle, And I held it open and sang at the top of my lungs to cars passing up and down North Lexington, to students at Asbury University and passers-by. And I, I don't know what else to tell you about my foolish obedience, except that it looked foolish to other people and it looked like obedience to God. And nothing magical happened to me that day. I just obeyed. I said to God that I would serve wherever he wanted, even if it made no sense to anyone else in the world. And I surrendered some dreams that day that were not God's dreams. And I told him I didn't want to be on a stage. I didn't even want a platform. I wanted to be his platform. I told him I would be happy being a doorstop if it meant that other people could come in and meet him. And for years, I kind of thought about that moment. I I thought about it as I graduated from this place. I thought about it as I went to serve as a pastor. I thought maybe that was just a metaphor for my calling, for the ways I served, that I was hopefully opening the door of the local church where I believe God does amazing and powerful things and lives are transformed. That as a pastor, I was a doorkeeper, letting people in to where they could find Jesus. And how my particular calling must be to open the door of the church. I thought that's what God was saying. I figured I could be faithful in doing that if that's what God called me to do, and then I pretty much forgot about it altogether. I got busy serving the church, preaching sermons, visiting hospitals, raising babies, and I didn't think about that day very much anymore until one day Asbury called. Thirteen years into pastoring, Asbury called. Did they want money? Literally, there was a voicemail on my phone and it came from Dr. Steve Martin, who was on a search committee for a new dean of chapel at Asbury. So I applied and I came here to Wilmore for an interview and my husband Jim came with me and we prayed and prayed that God would tell us if this was him or not. Because literally everything else in our lives pointed to us staying in Texas. I mean, why would you leave Texas? It has Whataburger. (laughs) And we had a pretty sweet life there. So we didn't want it to be our answer, and we asked Jesus to make it clear to the search committee who would be right for the position, and to make it clear to us we we prayed, no, we begged that God would make it abundantly clear. And I'm not supposed to, I don't know if you're supposed to pray for a sign or not, but I'm pretty sure I prayed for one. And so as part of my interview, I had to preach a sermon in Estes Chapel from this platform, this pulpit, with the entire search committee and the entire student body and all of my professors staring back at me. And as we came into chapel that day, the worship leader stood and said, well, we haven't done this song in forever. Nobody sings this song anymore. This is like a 15-year-old song, which is like centuries old in music years. (laughs) But the psalm today is Psalm 84, and so we have to sing it. It's an oldie, but a goodie. It's called Better is One Day. And they started singing, and someone started reading from Psalm 84. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to live in the tents of wickedness. And I had to sit down. The Holy Spirit pulled me down into my pew. How was I supposed to preach after this? And that same voice that had met me there now, now 20 years ago, the one that had told me to go open the door in Estes said, I called you to open the door, and I didn't mean just any door. I meant this door. This is your door. This is where you're called to serve. And that's how God called me, very personally to Asbury Seminary and Estes Chapel, a blessing beyond all I had ever asked or imagined. And a few years ago, we renovated Estes Chapel. We freshened it up. We put new paint, new lights, new technology in it. And I learned they were replacing the old door handles. I heard the old ones were on the scrap pile outside. And so I went and got my door handles. (laughs) Friends, you have a door. I mean, the door to heaven? Yes, we are all opening that, but which door? Which door is yours? It's particular to you. It is personal to you. You know that God has called you, or you wouldn't be here trying to figure out what that means. But he hasn't just called you generally or particularly. He's called you personally. He wants you to speak and serve. He wants it to be personal. He will use every ounce you'll surrender to him and build his platform on you so that as Peter says, God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Our band is going to come up. We're going to close, not with that song, (laughs) with Build My Life. Build my life, a platform for God. And some of you need to go. You have something else happening in a few minutes. But if you um, if you want to do some business with God or ask him to give you some particular and personal good news, you just want to be foolishly surrendered to him today, this altar is open, or your seat is an altar. But he may call you to move foolishly. So I invite you to stand now as we sing together.